1: all right, everybody, stop playing zip, zap, zap. We got a show to do. <laughs>
0: yeah, no zip, zap, zap.
1: The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9. The International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers, Local 126 and District 8. The International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150. And of course, today's Ben Jarofsky Show, Hour Number Two and Hour Number One, brought to you by our good friends at the Chicago Federation of Labor, Hour Number Two. Let's go. It is Thursday, January 9th, and live from the Chicago Sun-Times, Chicago Reader Studio on Racine Avenue, this is The Ben Jarofsky Show. In this hour of the program, union man Ed Maher is back. And it's another Guide to Getting High with Lisa Solomon of the Chicago Reader. And now your host, the last person you want giving you advice about getting high, Chicago Reader columnist. Ben Jarofsky. Yeah, I talk so much about it. haven't done it since 1980. Uh,
2: Ed Maher in the studio, uh, operating engineers, Local 150, a regular guest on our show. Before we bring Ed on, you got an update for me, D? Uh,
1: Absolutely. I do hear two updates, one local, one national. First up, the local, and it's on all of this damn dirty Illinois corruption. Democratic leaders from the southwest side and nearby suburbs on Tuesday tapped freshman state rep Selena Villanueva to replace former state senator Martin Sandoval, whose resignation took effect New Year's Day three months after federal agents raided his state capitol office. Villain but thirty four years old, was appointed in July twenty eighteen to to an open House seat for the 21st District and ran uncontested for a full term that November. Last spring, she was one of the House sponsors of the legalization of recreational marijuana. So congratulations to State Rep, Selena was, Villanueva. She just became a state
2: rep. Now she's just state senator. There's other people like... 10, 15, 20 years for that promotion.
1: Now, Selena, you're a freshman here, so I'm assuming you're uh, so far on the right track. But please, don't be shady. <laughs> okay, good it's, advice. It's in the general. last thing we want. All right. And now to the national news. Uh-huh. Uh, we have two 2020 presidential candidate updates here. First up, well, according to Ben, he's my favorite candidate, Mayor Pete, Pete Buttigieg. <laughs> Just teasing. Dennis is a Bernie bro all the way. <laughs> uh, Mayor Pete, uh, we had our Illinois uh, delegate elections here, and Mayor Pete failed to secure delegates in Illinois.
2: I'm a little surprised by that. I thought he would uh, be a little more organized than that. Uh, th- it's a very complicated. We're going to have uh, the political know-it-alls, Jacob Capital, explain the whole process. Tomorrow, I'll be in the studio, executive director of the Cook County Democratic Party. He's going to go through the whole process of what uh, candidates do to get delegates and if they don't have a slate of delegates, uh, how they get delegates if they win. So it's, you know, like, like everything else in primary politics get a little confusing. But it is a good... It's a sign of organization and support in a state if a uh, Democratic presidential candidate has the con- connections and contacts to line up a slate of delegates who uh, will support him or her. Usually they're uh, officials, uh, elected officials, or uh, volunteers who are strongly committed to the Democratic Party. Union people, a lot of union people will sign on to various candidates. Uh, so generally, at uh, and that is it's a sign that a uh, candidate is well connected in a particular state in illinois i'm talking about uh if he or she can put a, uh, a slate together the fact that P- mayor pete didn't put a slate together suggests to me that he is not uh he's not built uh, the co- the contacts in illinois that you would like a joe biden has a full slate
3: it's a little bit surprising just because of the proximity of illinois to indiana you know you'd figure that a lot of the the strength would come from states that are nearby that might be familiar with them from his time uh, as mayor of South Bend. Yeah, absolutely. That's another point. So,
2: Mike, but he's not afraid to come into Chicago and for fundraisers and so forth. So, taking Chicago money is a little different than actually building a network of support. I know Biden has a full slate. I'm pretty sure Bernie has a full slate. Elizabeth Warren has a full slate. We'll get into all this with uh, Jacob tomorrow. i have the full
1: list. And this one's uh, pretty fun here. Uh, Another 2020 presidential candidate update. Senator Amy Klobuchar addressed a wide range of issues during her appearance before several hundred students at the college convention 2020 on Tuesday. But perhaps the biggest applause line came when she recited the names of all 50 states in about 30 seconds. <laughs> I have the I have the video here. We're going to play it. Okay. And I think this could be a challenge for uh, some you. of our guests here in the Ben Maybe this is our 2020 uh, Ben Jarosky Show news segment here. So let's listen to Amy Klobuchar uh, <laughs> recite all 50 states in 30 seconds. And you better believe I'm going to ask Ben to do it, too. Here we go. <laughs> in Virginia, where an incredibly diverse slate of
0: Iowa, Kansas, Kentucky, Louisiana, Maine, Maryland, Massachusetts, Mississippi, Missouri, Montana, Nebraska, Nevada, New Hampshire, New Jersey, New Mexico, New York, North Carolina, North Dakota, Ohio, Oklahoma, Oregon, Pennsylvania, Rhode Island, South South Dakota, Tennessee, Texas, Utah, Vermont, Virginia, Washington, West Virginia, Wisconsin, Wyoming.
3: I'm no longer a Bernie bro. <laughs> now, that's all well and good, but think about all the things you could have been doing instead of standing in front of a mirror with a list of states trying to memorize it. It's got to take hours and hours to figure that out. Uh, well, I have to tell you, Ed, uh,
2: the more confession of my geeky side, when I was a kid, I had a map of the United States on the wall. Uh, so this is a long, long time ago when I was a kid. And, uh, yes, it was. Uh, I would... <laughs> He's old, guys. I'm old. But I would stand on that map before I went to bed uh, at my and I memorized. I could tell you back in like 1965, 66, every state, every capital. For, I mean, I remember, it and I, it's like to, over time, it's lost. So I could not
3: do that in a minute. What about you? Could you just? Yeah, I was. I used to be really good at geography. We had a G, uh, National Geographic geography bee at my grade school, and I won it uh, a couple times yeah would you study maps it's kind of a geeky yeah. thing to do can know? we put 30
1: we, seconds on the clock and have you do it
3: I, there used to be a song with the states yeah. but I, I it's been a long time i've i've found many other interests there's in the a comedian since. i dennis and i heard the guy Who is it the one he has this hilarious bit about
2: um giving nicknames to i mean uh, abbreviating states did i listen to that with you i don't think that was me oh my god this guy is funny like you know the the people think it's easy to uh, abbreviate a state just get it down to two uh, letters and then, the, well, anyway, I was a funny. I can't remember who it is. Right, let's get down to serious business, uh, Ed Maher. No, no more goofing around. Can you do the alphabet backwards or anything fun no, like that? No, I can't do anything. Alphabet <laughs> backwards, go. No, Z. There we go. Z. Z. A. And then a bunch in the middle. Uh, no, can't do anything like that. I I used to be able to. I think I still could tell you every single uh, NBA championship team going back to nineteen. 19- 60. Wow. I know that's weird. A lot of weird stuff. but I'm And not... you
1: could name uh, the, the 2019 Chicago mayoral candidates pretty well last year. You did yes, pretty well I on could. that.
2: That was tough. There were 14 of them, Ed Maher. I remember. Uh, And uh, so anyway, all right, let's uh, let's move on to more important things. Uh, I got three things I want to talk to you about today. Uh, Lisa Solomon coming in. We're going to do a a reefer deep dive. Uh, But let me just start with a general thing. Uh, How the legalization of marijuana in the state of Illinois is uh, affecting your rank and file.
3: I mean, it's it's. So far, there have just been a lot of questions, and it has created a lot of uncertainty within the industry. Um, all of all the unions maintain uh, drug testing programs. You know, we're all committed to a drug-free workforce, a safe workforce, because in construction, you know, the folks who are intoxicated who create an accident, it's um, very common that they're not the one that gets hurt. It's somebody else who is working next to them. So, safety is something that we're all extremely committed to and drug testing is an important part of that now uh, one of the laws that was passed uh, after the legalization of recreational marijuana was the illinois privacy in the workplace act and that that had a a a part that uh, prohibited any employer from denying employment to someone for use of a lawful substance outside of work premises things like that so um, with that it became sort of more and more challenging for employers to administer a test that included uh, cannabis, and not hire someone because they failed the cannabis portion, because the, the onus would then be on them to prove that um, to to prove that the person was intoxicated when they came in, something like that. So, um, the pre-hire drug testing in the construction industry for cannabis is um, a lot of a lot of contractors, a lot of contractor groups are no longer going to be doing that. They're just removing that from the panel. Um, so. The, the one of the problems with testing is that the the technology for intoxication. I was just talking to Lisa about it, and it sounds like she knows quite a bit more about this than I do, uh, and I'm excited to hear more about it. But um, it's a little bit more challenging to find out. Whereas uh, you can you can do a test for alcohol and find out if somebody is under the influence right now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you want to you want to be able to do something like that with marijuana as well. If you are in a position where you want to say that somebody is intoxicated, because I think. You're going to see more and more and more people using recreational marijuana or um, things like CBD products that also have THC or you know aren't supposed to have THC but still have some THC in them. But um, so it's created a lot of uncertainty. But in the construction industry, especially um, in the operation of heavy equipment, I mean, we don't want uh, intoxicated workers at the controls of of any kind of heavy equipment at all. And so we are committed to uh, to drug testing and to ensuring that every one of our members is is drug free and you know those who have problems and across society there are you know folks who need help and we provide you know treatment options and things like that for our membership but um the idea that uh that a lot of folks won't be tested for this stuff across the construction industry and I think in a lot of other industries you know it's something that uh requires requires a, a, a lot of thought it's it's challenging just the the things that that um, marijuana is different because it's a fat-soluble drug, and so it can be in your body even while you're not, not intoxicated, and that just makes things so much more difficult uh, when trying to hammer it into hammer this peg into the hole. That's you know, with all the other drugs that you typically find in a drug panel. Mm-hmm. Um, and now that it's legal, it's just—I think it's going to be the wild west for a little while uh, until maybe some more advanced testing technology comes out. Um, because at the end of the day, marijuana is legal just as alcohol is. Um, and it can, it can also intoxicate people and put them in a position where they're not safe to do certain things like operate heavy equipment. So, you know, it's, uh, we're going to have to find a balance and hopefully the, the testing technology moves along rapidly because that would make life a lot easier. And, uh, hopefully if something like that happened, they could bring the federal law in line with state laws and I don't know, just make things easier for everyone because Mm -hmm. things like CDLs and, um, crane certifications and apprenticeships are all governed by federal laws what do you mean by cdl Uh, a commercial driver's license Mm -hmm. so like a truck driver they have to take um physicals that are approved by the united states department of transportation so all the definitions and all the requirements that go along with that are governed by the united states department of transportation which is uh and and the associated federal laws so if you have a, a cdl you can't smoke marijuana there it's zero tolerance marijuana. It's a banned substance. It's an illegal substance. Same thing with nationally accredited crane licenses. Same things with apprenticeships that are governed by the United States Department of Labor and uh, associated federal laws. So there's a lot of, um, there are a lot of really murky things that are created by the, you know, the disconnect in state laws versus federal laws, as well as the inability to really accurately test for intoxication. Though it sounds like I might be a little bit off on that. I'm, I'm excited to hear more about, about it. Lisa has to say that. She's I, writing stuff down. And no, I bet it's going to be good. She's our uh, our reefer expert. Every show has to have one. Do you have a business card that says that? Because you, you really should. <laughs>
2: reefer expert? <laughs> uh, did you have any concern uh, when marijuana became legal, Ed, that because of the, uh, the contradiction between federal law and state law which' is legal that people who shouldn't be smoking marijuana would be uh, you know enticed into doing it well it's legal on the state level not thinking that of course that it's still illegal at federal level not thinking that it could impinge on their ability to get a, a commercial driver's license or operate heavy equipment or be a pilot or et cetera and so forth did you have concern about that going into this
3: yeah I mean it's it's confusing and the the um, the emergence of CBD products, Excuse me. Um, has made it even a little bit more challenging because over the course of the past year, we've had a lot of members. Uh, CBD. I mean, I've never used a CBD supplement, but I hear that it's basically good for what ails you. You know, I seems like I've heard from somebody that CBD is good for just about anything that mm-hmm. there is, um, and they market all these no THC or THC free CBD products, and you can buy them at the gas station. Mm-hmm. You know, but people are taking these and there's a, you know, a small amount of THC in there because the FDA doesn't, um, doesn't regulate any of this stuff because it's not federally legal. Um, And so people are failing drug tests for THC and saying, oh, this is, it said it was THC free. That's, we've had more than a few of those things happen. So it's communicating a really, really confusing situation to our members. Like, yeah, it's legal um, or yeah, it's gonna be legal. And yeah, this says no THC, but, it's, you know, it's just because it says it on the label that the guy at the gas station told you so doesn't mean it's legit. So your job is dependent on you being sober at work. So do that, be that, you know, at the end of the day, that's what we've, what we've had to tell our members is you can still be fired. You know, you can still be disciplined um, for being intoxicated by a substance that's legal. So don't anybody run out there and think that you can just you know, be smoking a dube in the cab of a, a piece of equipment because you can't. And we don't want that. Yeah. I mean, we represent these workers, but we want the the safety of, of a construction site is paramount to everything else. Yeah. Uh, I have uh, many friends of
2: the police officer persuasion, and uh, they're in the same position. You know, I'm like, guys, you can't smoke this stuff. I right. mean, because uh, they do regular drug testing. Uh, Police officers, firefighters, as well. And then it gets into the issues of when you can drink for the test. I got friends like who are opera. Oh my goodness, I could tell you so many stories, Ed. Where like they call me for advice, which is so funny because I really don't know any. They should call Lisa Solomon. Ben, I smoked a joint yesterday. It's in my system. What do I? Do? How do I know? Yeah. You know, uh, why, why sorry did... about that. <laughs> uh, but, I eat a lot of poppy seeds. Yeah, uh, yeah. Somebody yeah, eat poppy seeds. Anyway, uh, I have no idea. Well, that's Lisa Solomon. Uh, this is something we'll watch. I, I'll bet you there's going to be some litigation that comes out of this. Some lawsuits that are going to come out of this. Um, I I do believe this will be one offshoot. I'm a big proponent of legalizing I was calling it for three years, but uh, I, I I'm with you a hundred percent There's some professions where I don't want the people high. I don't want them drunk I don't want them hot on cocaine or anything, right. you know, I want them sober uh, operating heavy. It's driving. Uh, did you see the Denzel Washington movie where he's f- the pilot? He's he's taking
3: oh, yeah. cocaine. And, was that what it was called? Flight? I think it was called Flight. Oh, it was a hell of a great movie where yeah. he turned the plane That's a really down. bad example because he was drunken on cocaine and he still landed that yeah, plane. Yeah, he turned it upside
2: <laughs> down and landed it.
3: I think you're sending the kids the wrong message. Denzel. He can do anything, Edmar. He really
2: can. Uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, I'm like, you know, I don't want my pilot high. No. No. Um, but uh, anyways, we'll be watching this one. All right. Uh, you were talking about some
3: pension issues. Yeah. Uh, that were uh, facing uh, uh, union folks in the coming year. Go ahead. Yeah. I mean, there's some, there's a lot going on in Washington, of course, um, but there's something that's kind of slipped through during the holidays. Um, a couple of Senate Republicans, um, Lamar Alexander and Chuck Grassley from Tennessee and Iowa, respectively, uh, have put together a plan for pension reform, uh, and it's it's kind of, Flying under the radar for a lot of people, but it's uh, it's essentially meant to eradicate multi-employer pension plans in the United States. Um, currently, there are about oh, there are about 10 million workers who are part of a multi-employer pension plan, mm-hmm. and uh, there are about 13% of those where those plans are you know going broke. They're going to run out of money, including uh, one gigantic Teamsters fund, the Teamsters Central States Fund. Um, and so there are about 1.3 million workers that are at risk of you know having to take lower lower pension payments when they retire as kind of like a settlement thing through the the uh, the trust fund, which is essentially like the FDIC of pensions, like a federal insurance thing. So the um, the Republicans in the Senate have, have wrapped their arms around this as a reason to rescue pensions in the name of saving you know these this 13% of workers, but their plan to do so is to put regulations and actuarial um, limitations on the remaining 87 percent of all the plans that would put every healthy pension plan into a critical zone so it doesn't save any it doesn't save anyone but it it kills all the survivors Um, you know it would uh, limit what what uh, pension plans can assume their rate of return to be? You know, putting it down to the corporate bond rate, which is like four percent, when actual performance is usually you know closer to seven or eight, six or eight percent um, on investments, and just kind of pull a few sneaky little levers, uh, take tax, like create a tax to take out of retirees' pensions, like up to ten percent that they just take out and mail to the government to put into a trust fund to rescue you know other other uh, pension funds. So. Penalizing healthy pension funds to not even bail out, but kind of pay a parachute to participants of unhealthy ones. So uh, it's something that's, it's gathering a little bit more attention in Washington and among the union movement, but um, it's, it's something where it will put every multi-employer pension participant into a, into a decline where at some point their pension fund is going to go broke. Um, It puts restrictions on union um, construction or contractors, like the contractors who pay into these um, pension funds, puts them in a spot where they can't get out of these pension funds and the uh, the withdrawal liabilities, the amounts of, that they'll have to pay to get out are, are higher than ever. So it's, it's basically troubled pension funds fail, healthy pension funds fail, um, you know, uh, pension signatory contractors fail and uh, the survivors are all basically killed. So um, the Republican Party has been pushing this really hard. We've been working with our members to to, to reach out to their Congress folks, their their senators, and um, it's been it's been something we've been working really hard on for about the last month. It's called the the multi-employer pension recapitalization and reform plan. Mm. Um, but uh, yeah, it's it's really just an attack. It's, what, what do they mean by multi-employer? So a multi-employer plan, uh, for example if you have our like an operating engineer a crane operator might work for three or four different contractors over the over the the course of a year or more than that i mean we have members who get you know a dozen w-2s at the end of january for all the contractors you know they get called out for a five-day job here a two-month job there um but a pension fund all the like all their money that goes into their retirement goes into one place it might be the contributions might come from multiple employers which is the multi-employer angle of this the single employer version would be like united mm-hmm. or american and there used to be what's what's happening here is uh, basically the same thing that was done these these regulation changes were done to the single employer plan i think about 15 or maybe 20 years ago and um it put it, it eradicated single employer pension plans i mean they did this and now they're saying we can do this we did it on the single employer side they wiped out the single employer pension side that and you know um you know, venture capital and things like that, moving in and um, and taking over companies and putting them into bankruptcy and then bringing them out without unions and, you know, um, just not paying the pensions and things like that. But it's bad news. Um, multi-employer pension recapitalization and reform plan. It sounds really cute, but it's it's horrible. <laughs> it's <cute. laughs> if you're in a union, if you have a pension, look it up. Call your senators. Tell them it's uh, it's a load of bull, and not to fall for it. All right. Now, uh, our our usual pension guru comes once a month. Jeff Johnson. We take a deep dive on pensions. We usually
2: doing uh, public pensions, mm-hmm. and it's really geeky territory. Oh yeah. Uh, and uh, but generally, the a theme comes, a resounding theme every time we have the discussion. Uh, Ed is that there's not a lot of support for employees' pension rights because relatively speaking so few people have pensions uh i personally believe i'm a little lefty everyone should have a pension and that the model uh that jeff johnson's uh members have we should all get Mm because i got bad news for you folks you're going to get old the alternative is even worse to getting old uh so you need to have some kind of money some when uh you, you retire and to be totally dependent on just like investments in the stock market etc uh at a 401 mm-hmm. you could there could be a crash coming right around the corner there's
3: there's no real protection for that the i mean i um there there certainly is a lot of criticism of of pensions and there is a difference between public pensions and private pensions where um, one is paid through taxes and one is not paid through taxes. And the multi-employer um, pension plans are typically private pension plans. The, pe- the plan that we participate in is a private plan. Um, I will say that the, the, the man who basically created the 401k, he's been interviewed several times in like Forbes and Fortune Magazine, things like that over the past couple of years. And he always says the 401k was never meant to be a standalone uh, approach to retirement savings. It was supposed to work with, a healthy social security plan and then pensions, which were common at that time and and then other retirement savings. But, um, he's, he comes out now and denounces the, the kind of the prevalence of 401ks as the sole vehicle for retirement savings, because it's just not enough. Um, I think there are between 40 and 50% of full-time workers in the United States right now that don't have anything saved Mm. for retirement. The average amount of retirement savings, I, I wish I could remember the number off the top of my head, but, um, you know, I think that there are 80% of full-time American workers that have $60,000 or less uh, saved for retirement. You know, it's uh, it's a problem, and and what do you hear? You know, every every time that we want to go out and pour a bunch of money into something um, or give massive business tax credits, the solution to to make the books balance is uh, cut back on Social Security and Medicare yeah i uh it's isn't that interesting there was and then it's usually
2: i I think social security is actually untouchable i I say that in a touch wood when i say that but it i remember george bush briefly talked about doing it in 2004 backed off immediately uh donald trump hasn't talked about it mitch
3: mcconnell and paul ryan i mean that was paul ryan's dream back in the day and when when the um, right. when the big corporate tax thing the tax cut came, mm-hmm. I mean it. it uh, there were minimal health, uh, like benefit to uh, to workers, and a lot of people actually made less money or saw less money and paid uh, more in taxes. Um, but when that happened, it was kind of like, okay, we're cutting out like twenty percent of our federal revenue by doing this. So just wait for it. Within the next couple of months, they're going to say, well, we can't afford these entitlement programs, and that's what happened. I think it was like six weeks later that um, Mitch McConnell came out and said we're gonna have to reform these plans can't afford them it's like you know why we can't afford them because Amazon's not paying taxes or you know I mean that's just just one example but um, but yeah I mean these things people have to be able to retire because if people retire or can't work anymore and they don't have any money it's not like you can send them out to pasture something has to happen there's got to be a social safety net for people um, like that so you know, it's gonna require federal resources. And I think we saw the abuse of that under Governor Rauner here with uh, folks who have developmental disabilities. He slashed and burned the budget for all those things so that there weren't day programs for these people. There weren't job programs, training programs, um, things to fund, you know, special care. And it's not like these people went away. Um, They just, they fell into need in other parts. I mean, the, the need is there. And uh, the government is, exists to help people uh, who are a little bit down on their luck or who need more resources than they can bring to bear. And it's just, it's going to happen. you got to take care of them here or you're going to be taking care of them somewhere else. I mean, look at mental health. Compared to the uh, the prison population, uh, I would caution anybody uh, when it, when the word reform is used
2: yeah. in connection with anything, particularly the state of Illinois. Look out, because it means it taking it from people who really need it and giving it to someone else. Generally, that's what reform is. So go, oh, let's do pension reform. Yeah, so they're going to take some geezer who's living on a pension. And take. Make yeah. them
3: pay more in health benefits or what have you, and, and I'm, I'm not making a storm in a teacup here. This is the retirement of 10 million people we're talking about, and they're looking to wipe it out. Um, so, is there are there any champions uh, st- standing up
2: on on the behalf of the pensioners? You mentioned two Republican senators, Lamar Alexander Chuck
3: Grassley, who are uh, proponents of the bill. Are mm-hmm. there, is there anybody fighting it? Yeah, I mean, there are, there are a couple of different pension reform plans that are, are kind of floating around uh, in the Senate right now. And a lot of people on the Democratic side are pushing for other plans. There was a small plan that dealt with the Mine Workers Pension Fund. And then there's something called the Butch Lewis Act that would uh, help some of these funds through uh, federal loans and um, some other things like that. But um, it's, it's funny because all of you're you're wiping out 87 percent of the healthy funds to help 13 percent that are unhealthy and it basically doubles the payout that uh, the people in that unhealthy population would get, and so that allows the the people that are that are behind all this to say, we got to help these people, yeah. you know, and that's what they're doing. But they're trying to help the Teamsters. The Teamsters have come out against this plan. Everybody's fighting it. It's you know, it's a, a knife in the heart of retirement, but it also wipes out um, union employers, and it it's it would weaken unions, and that's what it is. That's what it's supposed to be. So. All right, we'll uh, be following this one as the year unfolds. Before I
2: uh, let you go and uh, bring our uh, reefer expert on, I have to ask you, what are you sort of, are you optimistic as you head into the year for the unions? We have a presidential race, we have Democratic primaries, to us to be uh, figure out who the Democratic candidate. Are you coming into this year optimistic or are you pessimistic? How are you feeling about
3: things? You know, it's hard to go into a year pessimistic. I, I, I don't find myself really approaching too many things pessimistic. I think we've got a lot of challenges ahead. Um, Local 150, the union that I'm a member of, we have a break uh, breakdown of about 50% Republican members, 50% Democratic members, and I think right now the undecided portion of that membership is very small. I think right now people know which way they're going, um, and this is going to be a very, very divisive election nationally, and we've got to deal with that within our own membership as well. Um, you know, through providing information on issues that are pertinent to us you know we're we're not in the business as a union of telling our members how to vote on social issues be it abortion gay marriage um you know religious rights whatever it's not our that's not what they pay us to do they pay us to to be watchdogs on workers rights issues and infrastructure and things like that so we take that interest um closest to heart when we're when we're doing political endorsements and you know, it's, uh, it, it, it veers toward to one side of the, the political aisle right now more than the other. Um, and we'll have a lot of members that uh, are not really comfortable with that. And it's going to be a challenge. We, you know, just figuring out how to communicate facts to, to members because, you know, the, the president has done a hell of a job of, of going out and saying these people are going to tell you I'm bad. But I'm not. I'm out there for you. And then when somebody's like, he's lying. He's he's hurting you. They say hey, that's what he told us. You were gonna say, oh you know? yeah. And, uh, uh, crazy like a fox. You know yeah. what I mean? I can't understand it. Yeah, crazy like a fox. Well, literally, you just got finished
2: talking about how there's a Republican bill that would hurt pensioners. That's. I mean, this is
3: yeah. a, this is a great example for yeah. for for people to see. This is what's happening. These things don't originate on one side. They only come from one party. So yeah. Take for it what you will. I'll throw want this out somebody? there. We—I don't
2: know if I had this conversation with you. I, I think I may have had it with you. I can't remember. I've had so many conversations that we were talking about the uh, General Motors strike, UAW, mm-hmm. and uh, Bernie Sanders went and marched with the strikers. Mm-hmm. Uh, Donald Trump did not. A Tribune. It was a Tribune reporter. He doesn't went, like to walk. He would just <laughs> ride along in his golf cart. Waddle along, Donald John Trump. Anyway, <laughs> uh, and yet there were some workers on strike who said they supported Trump. Yeah. And so when the reporter asked them, well, what about Bernie Sanders? He walked with you. And he goes, well, that's just what politicians do. Right. And I'm like, what, yeah. what can you do, Ed Maher? The can, dude walked with yeah, you. Yeah. You're, well, the problem is you're trying to make sense of it. and yeah. You can't, you know. I mean, the, the guy has a point. It was like a political act. Obviously, Bernie was looking to pick up support, so yeah, it was a political act. But he was there, you know.
3: <laughs> you know, he's, he's turned America into teams. There's like two teams, and people, I think, instinctively like to be a part of a team. So it's uh, us against them, yeah. except them is the other half of America.
4: Well,
2: when you when you uh, talk to, let's say the the them part of. Uh, the, of your union that is Democrat. Do you have a sense of which Democratic candidate is doing the best or is it all over the map?
3: Um, I think we're still kind of, we're still kind of waiting to see. And we've got a lot of work to do with our members to to take the temperature of our members. I know that there were, there are some that are, are very unpopular within our membership. I'm not going to get into that uh, just yet, but um, I, I think that um, we'll probably figure something out here. Um, I don't know pretty soon we're working with our international we're doing a lot of polling uh and we're we're trying to make the most educated decision that best reflects our members values and 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 what we've got to protect and things like that but um, to be determined. I'll talk to you. Maybe next time I come back, I'll have some more info. Sorry for that total lame answer on that one. Well, I try a, not to do that to it you. It was a little of a duck. It wasn't even a duck
2: and a dodge. <laughs> was it was a tease. A, it was
3: a tease. It's called a tease. More Edmar, to
2: come. More to come. A tease. Uh, tease. A duck and a dodge is different. That's me, Ben. Uh, it's a tease. <laughs> Ed heart the tease. It's your mind uh, out of the gutter. Uh, and uh, my mind is out of the gutter. Uh, <laughs> and uh, we have uh, much reefer discussion ahead of us. Lisa Solomon here, and she. Brought a mystery guest, Ed Maher. Mystery guest on the Jarovsky show. Does his name is Mary Jane? Uh, whoa, Ed Maher. get Zanies next week. Oh, uh, yo, thank you. Good. Thank you very much. Uh, and uh, so we'll let uh, Ed Maher leave the building. We'll bring Lisa Solomon and mystery guest on when we return.
1: The Ben Jaromsky Show is supported by Northwestern University's part-time master's program in literature and liberal studies. Students learn from dynamic and diverse faculty as they build advanced skills for critical analysis, writing, and research. Evening classes are held on Northwestern's Evanston and Chicago campuses. The spring quarter application deadline is January 15th. Learn more at sps.northwestern.edu slash masters.
2: everybody. What you're about to hear are the piano stylings of Jeff Manuel. Amazon in Mary, A, N as in Nancy, U, E, L, P, I, A, N, I, S, T, dot com. Take it away, Jeff Manuel.
1: Hey, commercial break's over. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show, live from the Chicago Sun-Times. Lisa Solomon is in the studio. Uh, She is
2: our resident reefer expert. Uh, I just saw you yesterday at the Reader uh,
0: Retreat. Oh, that was great. A lot of fun. Great team we have.
2: Yeah, and we did the zip, zap, zop thing, man. (laughs) Zip, 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 can't Still haven't
1: heard
0: an
2: explanation on what this is. All right, Lisa, could you help us out here? So it's a game. It's a theater game. Uh, wait, mystery Guest, you're not allowed to talk until you've been officially. <laughs> mystery Guest is like, I know what it is, uh, but it's a game, right? Miles Porter knows how to play this game. So everybody gets in a circle, and the person, the first person goes zip. Wait, well, go zip. Wait, don't you, see? you go zip? And then the other person zap. goes zap. Yeah, and then I go zap and then wait I shouldn't have done it to the mystery guest (laughs) I go to you and now you have to do zip zip yeah but you gotta point at someone zip zap
1: Well, this anyway, is great yeah. podcasting <laughs> concert here.
2: <laughs> anyway, man, we did that at the Reader. It took a while for me to get. And I'm a little slower. Everybody knows that. And by then, I was out of the game. Yeah, right. you were out
0: pretty quickly. Oh,
2: man, I was out so fast. Ben, leave. <laughs> uh, I was
0: a newbie. I was in there for the final eight, I think. You are very intense. I oh. saw a side of Lisa <laughs> Salmon. I did not
2: re- realize it existed. Lisa Salmon, like, threw an elbow. She said oh, something cool. about his mother. Oh, wow. oh, my God. Okay. Dang, Laser
0: <laughs> focus. That's what it's all about.
1: Right.
2: Anyway, before we uh, bring on the mystery game, Guess you got an update
1: for me, D? Uh, I think he created a monster here, Ben. Uh, people on the YouTube live stream chat, you guys are all awesome. How's it going? Yeah, they keep calling me Dr. Doobie. <laughs>
4: <laughs>
1: so, well, yes, I we do. got Steven, Dr. Doobie in the mix, coming at you with another fat rip of dank local news. Steven, come on. you know, Dragon Slayer, when is the Benny J Show going to get some merch, like some nice prescriptions of White Lightning Reefer from Dr. Doobie? <laughs> Guys, it's not my name. I'm Dennis. Uh, <laughs>
2: but, uh, back home at all. Me call him Dr. Doobie.
1: We always love it when you join the live stream chat. If you're on the download, you should join us and listen live sometime and weigh in on the YouTube live stream chat. Our good friend Jeff Biss has joined us. Going back and forth with our uh, uber, uber left wing uh, listeners. Good times. Yeah. Join the Ben Jarofsky Show live stream chat.
2: I'm not Dr. Doobie. Uh, I love my uber left wing uh, listeners. All right. Uh, Lisa Solomon, uh, please introduce our mystery guest.
0: All right. Sitting next to me here is Amy Nathan, co-founder of Gromentum Lab. They are an incubator for people from communities affected mostly by the war on drugs to help them get into the business. I'll let her tell you more about it because she can speak about it so much better than I can. Before we move on to the social equity component, though, I want a couple minutes to talk about why legal weed. If Go you're going to use cannabis, there are reasons to get it from a licensed dispensary.
2: As opposed to getting it from nickel bag Bernie.
0: I don't know, Nickelback Bernie, maybe he's growing clean product. Yeah. But that's one of the big issues. <laughs> mm-hmm. So when you're buying cannabis from a dispensary, you know it has been tested by a third-party lab. It's being tested for all types of contaminants, uh, fungus, mold, pesticides. You don't want to be smoking that stuff because some stuff that you can touch becomes highly toxic when you um when you breathe it in when you heat it and ingest it so you don't want to do that so that leads me into a possible reason that there is this huge flower shortage cuz i got to tell you the shortage of flower which is the raw bud the dried bud that you could buy and smoke you can roll it they sell pre rolls you can put it in your bong or your one hitter whatever it is your vape certain vapes that you can vape bud from there's a lot of talk that there were a couple of huge crops that tested dirty meaning they had too much pesticide too much mold or something else in it this is not confirmed directly but a lot of people say yeah my friends at this company and that's true so what happened was they couldn't sell it as flour they couldn't turn it into pre-rolls they couldn't sell it by the eighth they needed to process it and use this really high-tech equipment that pulls out all those contaminants it is serious high-tech equipment used in the cannabis industry so that's why you could still get vape cartridges and edibles because they could make the oils and sell it that way but it could kill you and there's also talk that that's part of the vape issue it wasn't just the vitamin e but there were some contaminants on products
2: all right now let me just uh play devil's advocate for a moment all right now i just want to start by saying i am not on any way advocating that people go back to nickel bag Bernie and buy it uh illegal. I'm not advocating that, listeners, okay? And no T. Not. But I'm just gonna play devil's advocate with you. Um when I hear you talk about how dangerous uh illegal weed is, because it's not uh, uh Some
0: of it. Some of not it. Not at yeah.
2: all. Okay. I've just reminded what people have been saying forever. People have been smoking illegal weed since forever right. uh, including some people that I know and, um, and so why should they believe the industry when the industry says uh, illegal weed is bad for you uh, because it's not regular when in fact up until what a week ago? they were smoking illegal weed.
0: So not all of it's bad for you. You've got people that I'm sure are doing hydroponic grows with organic fertilizer, and it's a good, clean product. Mm -hmm. It's not tested, so if you're using it as medicine and you need a certain amount of THC or CBD or other components, you are not sure from crop to crop what it is. When you're buying it at a dispensary, it's labeled. So if you're buying it from one of these budding entrepreneurs that I'm hearing are hanging out around dispensaries selling their flour to people who can't get it in the dispensary... Ask a lot of questions. You know, you've got a lot of listeners that probably only buy organic produce, Mm -hmm. but yet they're not asking their local weed person they're buying it from, what pesticides are you using? So you might think you're clean and healthy. Ask questions. Be an informed consumer. All right. You know, you got to know what you're getting.
2: Yeah, fair enough. Although the the notion of an informed consumer when dealing with an (laughs) illegal product uh, is kind of far fetched. Uh, Amy, I mean, it's kind of like a contradiction in terms, is it not? It
4: is. It is. We've all been living in a whole different world, it's a new day. We're seeing with 2020. Yeah. Imagine that.
2: Yeah. Uh, and uh, so you hear, are you taking notes, Dennis? <laughs> I took them. I took them. <laughs> All right, you took notes. Okay. I was asking some of these questions on behalf of a few people uh, close to me.
4: But would you actually be buying bootlegged gin from your neighbor's bathtub today? Right. Moonshine's a perfect example and analogy. You wouldn't. Yeah. Because you'd be like, well, wait a minute here. What What's going on here? I don't know that I really want to be drinking from my neighbor's bathtub
2: no i in general i mean in general i believe there's a role for a government to play and in, in ensuring that the products we're e- ingesting eating consuming uh, are healthy for us and in general i would have more trust uh in, in buying a product that has been uh inspected by someone who knows about it, as opposed to just buying it from Billy Bob on the street. So that's just how I go about it in general. So yeah, yeah it's one of the, I mean, there were so many reasons and this gets in the heart of what you're gonna talk about. There were so many, least heard me on this subject. There were so many reasons why I wanted uh, marijuana legalized. There, I mean, I could list- a uh, uh, Cannabis. Oh man, I was gonna call a reefer and she, man, I was trying to dress it up.
4: What's the difference between marijuana and cannabis? I'm gonna let Amy take that one. Well, it's the same product, but marijuana has with it all sorts of um, stereotypes, stigma, and actually racial, racist issues that have to do with keeping the plant away from the thought of overturning prohibition of it.
2: So in other words, if I say cannabis, we're one step removed from the drug wars?
4: Oh, yeah, we're turning the tide completely on the drug wars.
2: I'm really struggling with the cannabis thing. I'll get to it, you know. It's uh, just the name of the plant. No, so. I know, but it's just sort of like cannabis, man. Uh, all right, uh, but for the sake of this discussion, we'll call it cannabis. Uh, How and- about
4: this? Cantrepreneurs. <laughs> Instead of entrepreneurs, oh, entrepreneurs.
2: Okay, entrepreneurs, oh, okay. I like that. Yeah. Uh, all right. Now, That's w- good. When That's I s- the
0: T-shirt you can get. Yeah. Oh, my God.
2: Uh, so right when I was talking out. about uh, w- the reasons that uh, I wanted marijuana, uh, cannabis legalized, <laughs> reefer legalized, is that... Um, Number one on the list was it was so unfairly, uh, the laws were so unfairly enforced. That was my number one reason. And uh, I just felt uh, it was so hypocritical Mm -hmm. of our country to essentially have cannabis reefer legal for white people, but illegal for black people, which is basically what it was for the last I don't know, 50 years or oh, not, not even though, cause, but definitely 50 the last years, 50 yeah.
4: years for sure. But even before that as well, 50 right. years that we really have good data on it, but it was basically four to one people would be minority, black, brown, people would get arrested relative to white people mm-hmm. for the exact same thing. Uh, and in this area, seven to one.
2: And uh, so how is the law legalizing going to change that?
4: Oh, well, for starters, there's a very big element of it that is about social justice, and that is specifically for for something that would have been considered a crime before January 1st. Today, that's considered legal, so all the people who offended that crime at that point those records are in process of being expunged. Many of them have already been expunged. Some people have done their time and they're still living with a cloud over their head where they can't get access to jobs, they can't get access to loans, they can't get access to housing. The list goes on. Mm. It impacts the rest of their life. So that is what's being really, that's been overturned, that's been changed. That's part one of the component. The second thing that the, the statute does is it actually creates a, Um, favorability towards people from those communities or that were impacted in that way towards applying for licenses and getting um, access to becoming owners in this space and that's what we're here to really help with. and there's another part to that so even if someone's record
0: is expunged if they've done time they've got this gap in their work history and people are asking where were you so we need to remove that stigma too because someone of color who went to jail for having one joint should not you know, have their life ruined when you've got white kids in the suburbs getting caught with a lot more than that and they get a little slap on the wrist. It's so inequitable.
2: Mm. Or they just were, were never slapped on the wrist. They were just <laughs> never, they're just allowed to do it. So, yeah.
0: Oh, some spent thousands and thousands of dollars on attorneys uh, because they had that
2: that uh, option. Yeah, I could tell you some stories about uh, Iowa, but whatever, we'll (laughs) leave that alone. Um, So... so, all right, so seven to one was. Oh, no, here was the question I had for you. So, let's say they expunge the record, but it doesn't deal with the what you were just getting at. When the employer calls, uh, let's say, calls in Benny and says, I'm looking at your record, and it seems as though you just were non existent uh, for years 2010 to 2011. Where were you, Benny? It's and- a
4: gap. It's a gap. Gap in employment. I've been a manager in large-scale uh, corporations before, and that's the first thing I'm looking at when I look at somebody's resume is where have they been, what they've been doing. A lot of times you're talking to someone who's female, you're like, oh, they were probably taking care of their kids. But still, you don't really know, and so you have to ask questions and ask what skill sets they learned during those gap years.
2: And uh, so what if what's protection is there for a uh, prospective employee uh, who doesn't reveal that he or she was in jail?
4: Well, there's no protection, but with this law, there's a favorability. There will be there are all sorts of workforce development programs right now in the works um because these dispensaries and all the other organizations, all the other companies in this entire sector, so there's there are many different verticals. there are grows, there are infusers, there are. Security companies. Security, they're ancillary companies like security companies and all these different goods and services that have to supply these different plant-touching organizations. There's an entire industry that's burgeoning here right now. And so there's a lot of favorability to people who happen to know the product and who have an experience. And those items are not going to be looked at in the same scrutinized way that they would be if you were going to go into banking or health care or something else.
0: No, I agree. That's a great point. But people wanting to get back into other industries, there is a lot of work to be done mm-hmm. to remove those stigmas to normalize it. Because you've got their managers, often, you know, being people who've smoked for years, they just didn't
4: get caught. Right.
2: All right. Now, uh, let's break some of these down. Uh, Grow and infusers, Talk about the, those two. Aspects.
4: So, so there are five different verticals. One is really sort of a catch-all for everyone who supports these different, these different verticals, but the verticals are sort of sectors within the industry that are required in in an entire value chain or an ecosystem, let's say. So somebody's got to grow the stuff. Um, Illinois is a very unique situation because of this law and the way that in intrastate commerce goes, you can't get this, you can't get this product outside of the state. Now you can, but that would be considered illegal. Mm -hmm. So you have to, it has to be grown here. And then if you're going to use anything that's like a cartridge for a vape, or you're going to use, have an edible, or you're going to use it in any fashion other than the flower itself, it's infused. So it becomes infused or processed product. It's just a processor. Like a, we here in the Midwest have so many CPG consumer product goods. It's really natural to us to be able to have laboratories to learn how to, Uh, create new products and there will be a lot of really great innovation and product development as a result. And then you have the retail outlet which is the dispensary. And then you've got the logistics provider which also Chicago's a huge hub of logistics provider. We've got amazing, Olive Harvey College just focuses on logistics. Every one of, uh, we have so much, so much talent here in Chicago and across Illinois in all of these verticals that are not part of the weed business. Now we sort of are layering on weed and we just have an explosion of opportunity for jobs for new businesses for innovation.
2: What's a logistics provider in, in the in the weed? Well business?
4: Lisa was talking about how um, you have to have um, weed that's been kept at a certain temperature so that it doesn't collect mold on it right mm-hmm. So there have to be very specific requirements that you know your typical, person with a pickup truck who might be transporting it from the grow facility to the dispensary may not have unless they're meeting certain stipulations plus they've got to have uh, security they've got to they have to have certain specifications that just the regular mom and pop um, delivery person for amazon today doesn't have and so they've got to meet that requirement and the state has to also license that as well
2: so every one of these things is licensed by the state
4: every one of those ones that i just named Mm -hmm. those four items grow dispense infuse and um, transport all of those areas have to be licensed Um, the only ones that you could have applied for until now has been dispensary Mm -hmm. the application for the other three have just came out two days ago actually and then besides that you've got the fifth which is everything else (laughs) that is a lawyer, that is a real estate broker, that is a marketing person, an accountant, if you've got a specialty in this business, and it requires specialization, there's an entire different tax accounting that's required for these businesses. There's entirely different ways that you have to deal with it because you have to be so above board and so transparent, and so understanding how the dynamics of a very highly regulated industry works is critical for anybody who wants to venture into this. But we need insurance. We need, we need all sorts of products. You know, when you think about the gold rush, people are call, calling this the green, green rush. rush. When you think about the gold rush mm-hmm. from, you know, 170 years ago in San Francisco, mm-hmm. w- what brand do you still associate with that? Levi's. There you go. Well they I were, got it right? They were selling <laughs> right. jeans. They weren't selling. They don't have any association really with gold. Yeah. But they were ancillary yeah. to that industry. And that's that. those are where people are really believing is going to be the big hit. That's where the most innovation is going to come from. That's where the most outstanding brands are going to come from. We just don't even know. Wow. Be.
2: Damn. If I could figure that out, I'd invest in that company be a rich man in about 10 years. Well,
4: you could just invest in all the entrepreneurs who are really going into it.
2: Uh, okay, with all uh-huh. my millions of dollars I make from the Chicago Reader, I'm going <laughs> to uh, kick some of that money in. Uh, all right, you talk about insurance, you talk about accounting. Where do people go to get training to be an insurance, or an account, insurance person or an accountant in in, uh, in the cannabis industry? So,
0: well, I can speak to like legal. There are certain people that are offering CLEs, the Continuing Education Credits, for attorneys that talk about the industry. There are companies that have CME and CEU programs. Those are credits for medical professionals so they can understand cannabis and how it works as a
4: medicine. So the accounting, I can't speak to maybe can, but well, this is cropping up and it's there's- It's happening everywhere. But, but in, in the, and I know that it's happening in insurance also. My actual, my home and auto provider was telling me that he's being approached to actually take some continuing education in this, but, um, More specifically about plant touching, for instance, uh, there are a lot of programs that have been created. So first of all, the state created a provision called Responsible Vendor, and that is anybody, there are 26 organizations that have been approved to teach how to be an operator in a dispensary right now. And those organizations are the only ones who can do that legally. In the future, I would anticipate they'll have a similar designation for people who can teach how to grow. At Gromentum, we'll be teaching entrepreneurship and we'll be touching, we'll also be teaching all the different aspects of working with the plant for the entrepreneur who wants to understand what their business process is going to be or really wants to focus on developing a brand, a specific product, maybe a strain or, or something specific like that. So there are many different organizations. Part of them will be the community colleges that are going to really be the only ones with the designation to teach some of this plant touching ast- you know, attributes, but as Lisa said, the ancillary, I mean, the sky is the limit. With ancillary, you can learn about things from your profession or from other states or online. I mean, there are so many different ways that you could slice that. And
0: university programs are cropping up, unintended, all over the place. So yeah. we've got Oakton Community College, is it Western Michigan University that has like the hemp growing program. So they are seeing this as a way to attract students because they it's are. where a lot of these young people want to go. That's what they want to go into. They're
4: excited about the green yeah. rush and they want to be a part of it. We at Chromentum are on the advisory team for Chicago City Colleges to help them develop their work, their workforce development pro- program as well. I know Chicago State has something as, in addition. So. You
2: know, look, uh, Lisa, the last time on the show, some people uh, called them with a question. I didn't have the answer. So uh, either one of you can answer it. I'd appreciate it. Uh, How are the dispensaries dealing with payroll? That's a great Uh,
4: great question. So there are certain payroll packages. So let me actually unpack that a little bit. Mm -hmm. For people who don't know, for people who have not been in a dispensary, generally this industry has no banking attributes. You can't walk in there and use your credit card. You can use your debit card, but you can't use a credit card. And that is because credit cards are insured by the FDIC. And the federal government can't be—it's—it's it's still considered a Schedule it's One drug.
2: Illegal. Right. Mm-hmm. Federally, it is illegal. Yeah. So illegal. Um,
4: illegal federally, yes. but but legal on the state level. Correct. Level. And so as a result, banking is a real problem. Mm-hmm. The Safe Banking Act has made some inroads, but it hasn't gotten far enough. Safe banking—it's
2: th- a, a state of Illinois act.
4: Well, there's a safe banking from Illinois, but there—but what we really need is safe banking nationally because the FDIC, the banks that are insured by the FDIC, which is most of the big banks you know of, unless you're a state chartered bank, you're really unable to transact. And so most of the dispensaries, if they bank with a, a large, you know, Bank. it's it's really difficult. They really can't use credit cards. So as a result, they also have a, a, a challenging time paying vendors, paying everyone. And so there are certain um, workforce products out there that are basically computer pro- programs that they use across different dispensaries in, in lots of different states to help get their um, employees paid. Okay, so in general,
0: that is true. However, there are companies on the West Coast That have overseas and corporations that are able to do these financial transactions cashless so they're much more popular on the west coast the companies in illinois are very hesitant to get involved with them but the cash is an issue and i was talking to a lot of dispensaries ahead of time asking if they were going to move to these cashless atms or these other companies which will actually run credit cards and they just really weren't ready to go there and there was a very unfortunate incident on monday where one of the chicago dispensaries was robbed i don't know if there was any staff in there at the time i'm hoping there wasn't it's been reported in the news they think there was a key card used to gain entry so i'm assuming there's an ongoing investigation which is why not much has been shared but you know there's just there's too big of a risk so the federal government really needs to take that into account, the safety of everyone in the industry, of all shoppers. We're we're here in
4: Chicago. It's a highly weaponized place. uh,
2: Okay, I'm still not understanding this. So let's say I have uh, the Benny J. dispensary, and um, I have uh, Miles works for me, and Dennis works for me, uh, and I have to pay them. Uh, So
0: transfer funds to their account it's like uh, a paypal for the cannabis industry so these can companies exist these companies you could exist. pay your suppliers that way the federal way. government
2: is not putting these companies out of business because there was concern about a year ago, I yes, want to say two years ago, uh, I had I was interviewing. This was before a legal uh, recreational reefer, so I would be medical dispensaries, and the, I remember this fellow came on the show and he was saying, "We're I don't know how I'm going to be able to pay anybody because the feds." This was day with Jeff Sessions was the Attorney General. Mm-hmm. He had this whole thing, Amy, about he was like gonna. Destroy the marijuana industry. That's what
4: he was reversing. What they called the coal memo.
2: Yes, very good. You know your stuff. This is why Amy's the mystery (laughs) (laughs) guest. Very well done. (laughs) Yes, the coal memo was just from the Obama days, where they're going to look the other way. Exactly. You know, it's like don't ask, don't tell, and reefer. Well, we're just not going to pay attention
4: to the fact. He was not that kind of guy. Uh Sessions was right. not that kind of guy.
2: Exactly. So you go, yeah, I'm ripping up that Cole Memo, and I'm going to come after them because marijuana is the reason. Uh, excuse me, cannabis is the reason. Mm-hmm. Oh, he would have been saying He would have said marijuana. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Or maybe he would have called a reefer they've walked back that home back. in Alabama. They've walked that oh, they back. they've walked it back.
4: Since then, yeah. Is He's that, no longer uh, there.
2: So. Yeah, that is true, but so not they, for that reason. Can
4: I
0: address the marijuana word no. again? Because there are people that use it as a regular term. They don't feel that there's really any racist part. They feel like that fell by the wayside. It just became a common term. Like, if you look into the history of the swastika, thousands of years ago, it was actually this powerful, positive spiritual symbol Yeah, but that, that was in the so, but anyway, yeah, yeah. but so oh, it's very it's questionable you have,
2: a, uh, when you do Nazi analogies, I just warned guests about that in general, but so, go ahead.
0: All right, let, let's erase that if we yeah, can, erase. but you'll hear people on both sides of the argument for marijuana, but. All In right, general, fine. if you steer clear of cannabis, rid, you're reefer,
2: safe. whatever, the the point is is that the green stuff. Uh, the green stuff is uh, that uh, Sessions is no longer attorney general, but it was not for his position on Amer- uh, cannabis that Donald Trump got rid of him. Just want to make that clear that to all of our good. listeners out there. It had nothing to do with that. Uh, so in other words, okay. So they, they can meet their payroll. There are ways that they can meet there their payroll. There are ways, yeah. And uh, they can pay their bills, yeah. etc. And so forth. So the federal ban, uh, the federal banning on uh, legal marijuana or legal reefer, has not uh, really burdened the industry that much. It
4: has burdened the industry tremendously because it's an awful customer experience. Yeah. I mean, to have to have to use your cash, that's. I mean, really, what we really need to be doing is moving to more of a cashless, just like Lisa was saying, a cashless society where that's just not an issue and you're not walking around with it.
0: It's also for the people that don't wanna think of themselves as using drugs and have a medical cannabis card or truly using it for medication, and when they're forced to go in with a wad of cash and walk out with a bag that's been stapled shut, it's, it's harder for them to accept that, yes, this is medicine and I'm okay, I'm not using illicit drugs. All right,
2: now let, let's address the issue of what, what you call social equity. Uh, it was really upsetting to a lot of people, myself included, the, symbol, uh, the symbolism. When uh, cannabis became legal on January 1st, the owners of the major dispensaries were white guys. And for years and years and years, as you were pointing out, Amy, uh, the, peop- the victims of the war on drug were basically black people. And so it just was so symbolically wretched yes. to take a look at when legalization happened once again. You know what I'm saying, Amy? Yeah, they it's did a
4: bad job. They had, a, they had an opportunity, those, those companies, had an opportunity to handle it differently, and they didn't. Um, they should have sent other people they should have sent all the women or the, all the people on their staff that are diverse because they do have diversity among them. Mm-hmm. But it was just a bad photo op. Um, the, but the, but it's important to understand why and what that was about. Mm-hmm. So for, for starters, the most important thing to the state is that whoever is commercially involved in this product, that they are doing it at a standard and that that is a high standard and that they have their operating procedures, everything labeled, you know what you're getting, every single transaction, every single thing is tip-top known. And when the state, it took a, it took all these years for the state to get comfortable with those who have been operating this way, to operate on this level, that finally they said, you know what, we trust you. It's a really big deal for the government to decide to trust you to do this right. And they weren't gonna at all open up a dispensary or any other access unless they were confident that the people who were delivering it were gonna deliver it at that level. So those people, as we know, because that's how it all started, were 96% white men. That's who they were. So the question is, is they were in a quandary. They were like, well, on one hand, we could First, we could delay the implementation and not make it January 1st and wait until we had cultivated and given people all the taxes. And then the consumer was gonna suffer. So the consumer was not gonna be allowed to, to, to buy it even though it was legal as of January 1st. So what does that do? What that does is that instigates or perpetuates the illicit market to continue to operate. And they wanted to be able to create some sort of a customer supply. So they were stuck in this situation. And I'm still not saying that it was the best situation. Um, And I do think that what should have happened is that they should have incentivized certain behaviors of those companies, not just for the photo op that day that you're referring to, but more importantly, they could have required them to put employee ownership in place. They could have required them to hire 60% from disproportionately impacted area, just like the stipulation will be later on when, on May 1st, the, the announcement of the new companies are, are um, that have been accepted, You know, it's the same stipulations. Why not require them or incentivize and say, look, you companies, we will relax our taxes on you if you put these things, or we will give you opportunities to develop in areas that you wouldn't have op- had opportunities, or we will help fund certain operations, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. They could have incentivized those behaviors, and they didn't, and... To me, that was a miss. That was a miss on behalf of social equity. That was a miss for for everyone, really. Uh,
2: and so, when did you say the next licenses go? Out? What date did you say?
4: So, the next dispensary, the next wave of dispensary yeah. applicants, they just had to submit their applications on January second, uh-huh. and we will find out who wins on May first. May first, and that there were seven hundred application or seven hundred applicants. Wow. Uh, that re- represents 4,000 dispensaries. And of of them, 600 of those 700 had a social equity ownership component to okay. it. So that's about 87, 88%. Right. I don't know. I don't do math that quickly. But uh, that has social equity. So it sounds to me like everybody heard the message loud All right. and clear.
2: So if there's somebody listening uh, out there uh, who spent time in jail, for uh, getting busted with reefer, or has a gap on his or her resume because of uh, time in jail for reefer, uh, or or, uh, even if he hasn't been in jail, but wants to take advantage of the legalization of cannabis, how can your group help them?
4: Well, first of all, if they are interested in applying for one of these licenses, or if they're interested in maybe starting a, um, a company that is ancillary in nature, they can apply. Well, first of all, they can come to us regardless if they really were in that situation. We are doing a lot of advising and helping them get their applications completed. We've had a ton of we did this last quarter with a ton of different programs and one on one coaching. We brought experts who are from the other part of town, who have this ex- expertise, both in cannabis and in very functional areas that really came and helped them understand how to get their, that section of their application done, and then also reviewed applications for them. That's what we're doing before the licenses, uh, applications are, are uh, available. We are also very interested, if there are people who are interested in investing in social equity companies, we are matching to the social equity applicants because there are some incredible business ideas out there, incredible people who have amazing amazing experience that just haven't had the opportunity. So we're doing that as well. And then finally, once our accelerator program begins after those first applications have been accepted, um, apply for the accelerator and we're gonna help you launch your business quickly and with the means that you need.
2: What do you think the, uh, the potential for growth here is, Lisa?
0: growth in the industry in general or
2: mm-hmm. in ter- yeah in ter- for uh, the I, I social equity aspect
0: i think it's great i think a lot of people are hearing what they need to hear and then we have wonderful organizations like momentum lab that are supporting people and there are other law firms that are working with people that have them focused on social justice and social equity don't know if they're doing any pro bono work uh we can look into that we can get some attorneys on but yeah I think we're moving in the right direction. Mm-hmm.
2: All right, so, uh, Amy, folks want to get in touch with you. To tell folks how to get into Gromentum Labs.
4: Gromlen, GromentumLab.com. There's no W in that. G R O M E N T U M Lab. Nope. One. That's singular, not plural. Got it.
2: All right, very good. Uh, Amy Nathan, Lisa Solomon, thank you so much for coming in. I appreciate it. Uh, and also want to thank Ed Maher. And, and
1: hey, we got a uh, thanks to the YouTube live stream, Chad, and our good friend Stephen. We have a, uh, a name for this segment now. We were just. We didn't know what to call it, really. I think I called it, what, uh, a guide to getting high? Uh, <laughs> but thanks uh, to our good friend Stephen. Dr.
0: Doobie. Oh, <laughs> and, oh, we're having fun back,
1: going back and forth with that on the live stream. Dr. Kat. Doobie. Not a doctor. And that's kind of cool sounding. But uh, the, the name we're giving this segment, thanks to Stephen, we got to give him a shout-out. Now, we often do the deep dive here on the Ben Jarofsky Show. But people, get ready for Lisa Solomon and the dope dive. <laughs>
2: That's correct. That's very good. Thanks, hey. Stephen. And I think of that, man. Yeah, well. I just go reefer expert, but I like that dope dive. All right, another episode of the dope dive with uh, Lisa <laughs> Solomon uh, and Amy Nathan. Uh, and that's G-R-O-M as in Mary, E-N as in Nancy, T-U-N. M as in Mary L A B. How right. about that? That's got to spell it out yeah. for people.
0: All right, and I'm posting some things on a Facebook page, like the movies I'm recommending. I just set it up. Lisa the Hemp Guru. <laughs> Find me on Facebook. Uh, and this way uh, when people are talk can't about write it to re, him. Uh,
2: Stoner movies last night? You heard? said movies. The, the informational guy. ones. Read oh, <laughs> oh, the people in grass and oh. things like that. <laughs> I was talking stoner movies. No. Uh, right. My favorite. Big Lebowski is still the best oh, stoner movie of all okay. time. All right, Lisa Salman, Amy Nathan. Also want to thank Ed Maher uh, and Miles Conference lesson uh, earlier in the day miles porter uh was back from vacation and good to have him back and of course the man the myth the legend and as lisa silent and amy nathan could tell you back home in alton illinois they call him white lightning give yourself a raise dr d and take it out of petty cash
1: see you tomorrow everybody <laughs> Just Dennis. All right. And remember, you can download previous Ben Jarofsky shows and Vinny J bonus interviews of both Chicago Sun-Times and Chicago Reader websites and wherever else you download your favorite podcast. Downloaders, we love it when you download. We think it's great. But did you know that we live stream this program? It's true. Tuesdays through Fridays, 1 until 3 p.m. Central Time at both Chicago Sun-Times and Chicago Reader websites, the Chicago Sun-Times YouTube channel. So if you ever downloading and you wonder, hmm, I wonder what those guys look like, go over to the YouTube channel and be unimpressed.
4: We'll see you tomorrow. That's correct.